Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and joining me on this week's episode is Jamal Wilberg. Jamal, how's it going? Brett's going great. There's there's baseball, actual games, and spring training. Yes, and I've had every guest that I've had so far on during spring training this year, I've asked what their favorite part of spring training is. And I've gotten a few different answers. So Jamal, I've got to ask you, what, what's your favorite part about spring training? I think it's, it's just the start of baseball season coming back. And it's the idea that it's, that it's, it's almost here, you know, a year ago today, uh, my family was at the race spring training game. I think they were playing the Orioles if I remember right. But, you know, we didn't know at the time that that was going to be our last in-person sporting event for, you know, at least a year or more. So it's, it's just seeing the players start to come back. And there's a different vibe during spring training. There's a lot of excitement. And you're looking at, you know, the, the new guys on the team, the prospects, and you get a chance to see it. Like Johnny Field used to be one of my favorite <laughs> spring training players because it's always like, well, hey, he always gets chance to play, get a chance to watch them. And, you know, guys that will either be in, in AAA or starting the year on the bench to get a chance to sort of get a feel for who they are and get get close to the, the players. It's just a really exciting time of year. It's an excited feel. And then the games, like going to actual spring training games has such a more like such a more relaxed atmosphere. And for Rays fans, like we don't get to enjoy outside outdoor baseball that often. So spring training is like definitely a great opportunity for that. How, how much spring training? I'm curious when you're not at the games, how much spring training can you actually manage to watch or listen to? Cause one, the times of the games are always during yeah. the day on the weekdays, but like how much can you actually stomach watching? I know they're not playing nine inning games yet, but in a normal year, do you usually sit and try to watch all nine innings for those games that are televised? Probably get a handful of them in and, and try to catch the the highlights of the others. But like you said, man, there's nothing like, like going to the games, especially if Rays fans have ever been down to Port Charlotte. There's there's certain food items at, at yeah. the spring training at the spring training site that you think of. Like you got to get the ribeye uh, steak sandwich or the the fried fish sandwich. Like those are the go tos for me down there in Port Charlotte. But yeah, you know, try to catch a couple, uh, particularly you know some of the division matchups and try to see like a, a raised Red Sox or even, you know, race twins ones are, are good too. other teams in the American league more so than if they're playing one of the national league teams, that's in the grapefruit league, probably not something of, of huge interest that I uh, pull up on, but yeah, especially if someone's had a good game, turn it on, catch the highlights. I'll say that spring training uh, baseball, whether it's on radio or TV makes for some great background noise you're sitting at your desk doing especially now that so many of us are, are working from home like I am it's great to just have on the tv or plug it into the speakers and just listen to a game and to hear you know Dwayne stats to hear Dave and Andy back yeah. on our airwaves that's one of my favorite parts of spring training another one of my favorite parts and I think I haven't really realized that until realized it until this year is I love hearing about the, the players uh, personal lives and when the Rays were on ESPN last week uh, we got to hear a lot about what some of these players were up to during the off season. And the reason for that, the reason I like it so much is it's not that I don't care, but when the regular season is happening and when, especially when the postseason is happening, I have no time to pay attention to what Willie Adamas, you know, if he picked up cross stitching as a hobby over the winter, but during spring training, when you don't really care about the box scores that much, it's nice to be able to like establish that connection with, those players and for the Rays and Jamal, you and I know this, like the turnover you see on the roster, 
you have to have spring training to to uh, from a fan's pr- perspective to kind of get this new connection with all these new players that are in the door and yeah i mean it, ha- speaking of that like have there any have there been any raised players that have that have caught your eye so far and you know you talk about the the getting to know the players and i think we we talk so much about the human element of baseball in in a lot of different aspects except for the fact of the actual humans playing the game <laughs> and that espn one you know brett phillips mic'd up i had no idea how much i needed that in my life until I, I heard it. I didn't watch it live, but I, I saw the clips. And then I'm sitting here watching this 15-minute video of, of, of Brett Phillips mic'd up trying to get Randy in a dance contest going <laughs> uh, mid-game. And you're right. When it's spring training and these games aren't counting as part of the 162, it's kind of fun. And you get a chance to learn a little bit more, see the personality of the players, you know, or even, you know, Kevin Cash, you know, with the FSU, with the FSU joke yeah. on, you know, it, even in the pandemic last year, I remember – Sun Sports, you know, did a behind the rays and you had Willie Adamas frying plantains in his house and all these other pieces. And then, you know, I went to Sam's Club, picked some up and fried some myself. And so it's like getting a chance to to see these players is really interesting. I think it would really help even for the the newer players, because you're right. We know that there's going to be some turnover to the roster every so often. And as soon as a player reaches a level of uh, maturity, success or, or tradable value, uh, that there's uh, some, you know, some transactions to make. So it's really nice to get a chance to know, you know, who these guys are as people. Yeah. The, the guy that a couple of guys that, that have caught stepped up to me, Hunter Strickland, who's like living out of the back of a camper, I think. Yeah. And I think like his wife and I don't know how many kids he has, but his family is like staying with him. They're just staying in a camper. Like I believe it's in the Charlotte sports park parking lot, which good on him, Hunter Strickland, because I think he probably understands that, uh, while he's been given this opportunity by the Rays, it's going to be really hard to break onto this roster. It's probably not a good idea to settle, get settled anywhere. Uh, so living out of the back of his camper is Hunter Strickland. I'm loving the hair on Stetson Alley. This this kid that was like an outfielder, and I don't know what position he was, but now he's a pitcher. He throws like 99 miles an hour. He's got this rock and lettuce. And again, another guy that I don't expect to make the team, uh, but maybe at some point uh, midseason, we get to see Stetson Alley rocking that great head of hair on the Rays mound. There is no shortage of great hair on this Rays team. Well, you look at some of like the guys like Brendan McKay and Ryan Yarbrough and obviously Brent Honeywell and Tyler Glass. Now we know about their hair, but they have a bunch of them. Like it seems like there was, a, there was some sort of group text and the idea was to show up in Port Charlotte with great hair. We'll, we'll, we'll see what that great hair translates into, but yeah, those, those guys, you know, they're, they're not short of of the, the follicle blessings that are that are coming through. You know, as you as you look through, it's it's incredible. It'd be really interesting to see what it looks like by the time the season's done. But yeah, you, every picture I look, there's just great flowing hair up and down the up and down the roster. Now, there's like 75 odd players in big league camp right now, and spring training looks completely different from from previous years. With the fact that they're in like multiple clubhouse, multiple spaced out clubhouses. And also the fact that minor league baseball, now, you know, we had known the the lower uh, divisions of minor league baseball were going to start a little bit later than usual. Now, even the AAA level is going to be pushed back a month to try to, I guess, figure out what COVID protocols those leagues are going to run with throughout the 2021 season. They're getting pushed back a month. So spring training is definitely very weird. 
But as we get through the month, that number of 75 is going to shrink and shrink as, as, as the Rays try to whittle it down to that, that 26-man roster. And I don't know. I think the big the, the bullpen, there's obviously going to be cuts and movement around in the bullpen and a lot of names that will fluctuate. But like Jamal, the, I think the outfield is the biggest area of contention in terms of who's going to break camp with the team. Right now, I know it's only you've only seen a few games, and the spring training results aren't often what goes into this decision or isn't the main thing that goes into this decision for front offices. But in terms of making the roster, do you, do you see a guy that right now seems to be the odd man out? I don't. And it's, it's so hard because everybody brings their own little piece to the puzzle. And it's almost like you'd wish there'd be a transaction to make this a little bit easier <laughs> and, and not have that pull, but every, everywhere, I don't know who that person to, to drop off the list is. It's, it's crowded. There's a lot of folks and only so many spots, but I, I keep trying to figure out who I think's the, the odd outfielder out. And, and I don't see, heads and shoulders above like one guy that that's not going to make it. I mean, I don't know what, what your thought is there, but it's tough. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't expect Yoshi to still be on the roster at this point, to be honest. And I think that complicates the roster spot a bit, but um, it's interesting. Well, cause you, you've got that, that, that awkward uh, discussion there. Cause Yoshi owed $7 million, which I believe is like the third or maybe even second highest payroll for this upcoming season and then you've got brett phillips who has no options both bring some sort of value i think to the team in 2021 yoshi obviously more with the bat brett phillips more with the glove and his base running um but what do you do something's gonna have to budge as we get closer the one transaction that i don't think is looming by any means but the one transaction that you kind of uh, referred to is still a potential Kevin Kiermaier trade. And we've seen the Rays make trades into spring training before. Again, I'm not expecting one. I don't think this is something that's looming. But Kevin Kiermaier, that's another domino. That if that domino does fall, that makes things a lot more clearer for the 2021 season. But personally, I think it makes the team worse off. I don't know what your thoughts are on, on KK. I think defensively, you know, he's, he still adds the value that he brings to the team. And it's really, I, I would try to find a way to, to move Yoshi to create a spot for Brett Phillips, but I just don't know that there's a taker um, or, or what else you'd have to package with it. I mean, we also have quite a few, uh, a surplus of arms a bit when you look through uh, the, the, the guys in camp. And so it's, it's, it's tough, but Brett Phillips just brings something that, I don't know that I would fully want to lose um, in in the field as well as you know the the depth that you're going to need to get through another COVID season. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, obviously, uh, guys like Austin Meadows, Randy Rosarena, Manuel Margot, yeah. those are all locks to to be in uh, in Miami on opening day and trying to figure out the, those last few spots. And yeah, the thing with Yoshi is. There's not much trade value there, especially after like he only got limited chances in 2020. And what we did see of him, I don't know how many other teams would value him in the same way that the Rays do, which is why I think they might try to find a way to keep them all on maybe. But if you rock with one less infielder, that's like no Mike Brasso, who is another guy that has become a fan favorite, obviously for his heroics last year in the ALDS. 
and I think is a valuable baseball player. Like he had a very good season last year, and I think the Rays see him as a guy that will be a mainstay in the lineup while facing left-handed pitching. Like Mike Brasso, I know he only had 98 plate appearances last year, but was rocking a 157 WRC plus, hit five home runs at a 378 on base percentage. Like this is a puzzle that is once again. Eric Neander is very lucky to be able to get a chance to solve because you're not, you're not, there are plenty of teams around baseball right now that are like, Oh, we have to have this guy on our big league roster on opening day. The race have to make cuts from a very talented roster. It's going to be very interesting to see how they kind of, how, how things pan out. So yeah, half of Brasso's ground balls resulted in a hit, right? So he's batting 500 last season It's small sample size, but it's, you got to have that guy in the lineup. Plus we've seen what else he can do. So it's, I, I don't know where you find that slice, but thankfully uh, that's not the decision that I get to lose sleep over. Exactly. And, and luckily for, for Ray's fans and for us, uh, there has not been any injury news. I'll, I'll knock on wood as I say that. So in terms of Ray's news out of camp, really the only storylines that have developed thus far and we're, and shortly, we're going to talk about potential storylines that might develop as spring goes on. Austin Meadows has three home runs already. Uh, I know spring training lineups don't mean a lot, but the Rays have been hitting him at the top of quite a few lineups. So maybe that's a potential look in terms of lineup construction that they can use in the regular season. I know they've used Yandy Diaz. I've been on the Yoshi leadoff train. Uh, there's a couple of other guys that can fit into that role, but Meadows seems to be a candidate for that leadoff hitter, and I would love to see it the way he's been hitting. The other one, Michael Waka, had an outing today. He was like 94 consistently and touching 95. These are velocity numbers that really have almost never been seen from Michael Waka. And if they had, it was from quite a few years ago. Jamal, like that has to make you pretty excited about what Michael Waka, like the upside he might be able to bring this year in 2021. If he can do that this year after what he's done since 2019 and, and really not performed expectation, I think that is probably the steal of the offseason. If, if he can come in and throw hot fire like he was in, in today's spring training game. I mean, you look at the, the starting rotation and all that has been talked about with losing Blake Snell, and, and you're not going to replace a Blake Snell in the lineup but you're going to need multiple people to make some incremental improvements and, and, and incremental contributions to, to win you some games that matter. And if, if Waka can do that as the, you know, third or fourth starter, then that's going to be incredible. Yeah. Waka is a guy, and, and I've talked about it before on the show, but we'll go back to his 2020 season with the Mets. Yeah. You look at his numbers, six, six, two ERA, that's going to stand out big time, but you even just, all you have to do is look at the, K's per nine and the walks per nine, and they were the two best figures of his career. Once again, I'll keep stressing, only 34 innings. But this is like the strikeout stuff is starting to come along more so than it already was for Michael Walker. And to see him with those high velos uh, in this spring game is really important. I, I will make a caveat, and you know, Saris, I think, tweeted this uh, today. He goes, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can put up the same type of velos when he's gonna, when he knows he's gonna go full innings. Right now in spring, I think he went into the second inning today. I don't know if he finished that second inning. Uh, you know that you're only going out there for you know to face just a few batters. Michael Walker is gonna be you know leaned on to not be a 200 inning guy by any means, uh, but to be a probably more of a traditional starter. And if he knows he's going out there for four or five innings, 
what's the velocity going to look like? What's the rest of this stuff going to look like? So what I'm saying pretty much here is, is take everything with a grain of salt in spring training, if you didn't know that already. So we'll step aside for just a quick moment. And when we come back, we'll talk about some storylines that might be developing around Major League Baseball. And we're back on Raise Your Voice here with Jamal Wilberg. And Jamal, we, we talked a lot about the Rays. And once the season starts, we're not going to get a chance to really look around the league all that often. So let's do that now. Let's talk about some potential storylines that we think might develop or are already developing in some other spring training camps in both the Grapefruit and Tactics Leagues. And I know you, you're keeping an eye on that race in the NL West this year. Yeah, you know, it's the... The way the Padres have just spent this offseason just acquiring additional talent. We all know we've talked about Blake Snell going out west and it's but it's been just player after player that's that's joined that team. And it's almost like between the Padres and the Dodgers, like who's left out there in the NL West? And especially for Rays fans, there are so many former Rays on that Padres team now that it makes it really interesting to, to follow beyond. You know, we've got Will Myers, Tommy Pham, Blake Snell. And, and I think there's like two or three others that just aren't coming to mind off the top of my head. Jay Cronenworth. But, Never played a game for the Rays, but. <laughs> and um, it's just going to be that division race. And, and I know everyone, you know, the Dodgers are obviously still the favorite for that. But seeing those games just line up throughout the year, I think it's, you know, for folks that can stay up and watch a, a late night West Coast game or, or catch the highlights, that team just has so much just power in the lineup and in the rotation. And if they continue to add, like the, the rumors keep having the Padres on any player that's potentially being traded, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what they can do coming back off of their, you know, second place in the division finish last year. Yeah. I think this is definitely in terms of major league baseball from a national perspective, the story to follow in the 2021 season, you saw the Padres, do some really exciting stuff last season. Fernando Tatis kind of blossomed into potentially the, the face of the game. Uh, he's on the cover of MLB The Show this year. He just signed a massive contract extension. The Dodgers finally won the World Series, and then they probably got better. They brought back Justin Turner. They brought in Trevor Bauer to add to their already stacked pitching staff. You've got guys like Dustin May that are getting pushed out of that starting rotation in L.A., but the Padres went and re-upped some guys too. They got, obviously they got Blake Snell. We're well aware of that. And you Darvish the very next day to already add to a rotation that had guys like Denelson Lamette and, and Chris Paddock, who had a rough sophomore season. I know you've talked a lot about the lineup. This is like the big division race. Uh, you know, we're personally going to be more invested in the Rays and the Yankees and the AL East. Yep. Uh, I think the NL East is going to be a very interesting division. But in terms of, if you're really interested in a two-horse race, the NL West, look no further because the rest of the teams in that division, I have no idea how, how bad they could be. I mean, the Rockies, Diamondbacks, and uh, the Giants seemingly have no real direction right now. Uh, I'll, say, I'll say at least maybe the Diamondbacks and Giants do. The Rockies, I have no idea what they're doing. They, they lost Arenado this year. But in terms of two-horse races, the NL West is, is definitely where you want to look. And if you think the Rays have an opportunity at representing the American League in the World Series again in a year, these are this is probably two of the teams that are that they're going to go up against. I mean, maybe if you look broader across the NL, maybe the Braves, you know, can finish and, and get over that hump. But 
it's probably going to be the the Dodgers or the Padres representing the National League. If you if you were to ask me, you know, today who I think that is. So yeah, if you're a Rays fan and you think it's back to back American League champions, and probably interesting for you to keep an eye on. Well, we'll stay in the the NL, and then we'll talk a little bit about a couple more American League storylines. I'm looking at the NL Central, and I know that might sound a little shocking because none of these teams look to be great. But one of them's got to make the playoffs. So this makes this an interesting race because there are really three teams, maybe even four, that have a chance of winning this division. You look at the Brewers, you look at the Cardinals, you even look at the Reds, and they, they lose Trevor Bauer, and the Cubs are in that mix too. The Pirates, probably not this year. Uh, but there's four teams that are maybe going to be bouncing somewhere between 85 and 95 wins. And at least one, and somehow, some way, if Major League Baseball fought, you know, gets back to the, the 2020 playoff format, then definitely two of these teams would be in the postseason. I'm kind of curious, and my eyes are kind of stuck on the St. Louis Cardinals, who went out and got Nolan Arenado. We went and saw them take another uh, franchise staple from another National League West team when they got Paul Goldschmidt. Now they bring in Arenado, and it's a team that they've got a young pitching staff. Well, some, some of their guys are young. Some of them are aging, guys like Carlos Martinez and Adam Wainwright. But Jack Flaherty, who's a really exciting young name. And then you look at the lineup, Goldschmidt and Arenado in the middle. Dylan Carlson is a young, up-and-coming player. And they've got the, the recognizable names from days of old, like Yadier Molina. I guess you could even throw Matt Carpenter in that category now. It's going to be a really interesting NL Central race. I kind of still, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm being a little too optimistic about the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, but I really like Luis Castillo and what he did towards the end of the season. They've still got guys like Sonny Gray, uh, Michael Lorenzen, who's fun to watch. He might not be very good, but he's definitely fun to watch. Uh, in a lineup that has guys like Nick Castellanos and Joey Votto. But Jamal, what are, what are your thoughts on the NL Central race uh, going into this year? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't, between the, the Cardinals, the, the Brewers, and the Reds, I don't know why, but something about the Reds just feels like they might be the last one standing at, at, at the end of this on top of that division. They just they just feel a little more fun to watch. And I know that's not a, a, a measurable or, or really decisive answer. Just something about that team feels like this is a, an opportunity for them. They finished last year second in the division, which, again, not really saying a whole lot. But I think that they can they can take that step forward if, if they can all just maximize the, the talent they have. It all depends on how Joey Votto does and some of the other players that you already mentioned. But we'll we'll see. I think it's it's really interesting just to see what they can what they can put together. Yeah, the Brewers. You look at a play, a one player specifically, Christian Yelich, who had a bit of an off year last year. Kind of of what he's going to do as a potential bounce back. He was a seven to eight win player a couple of years ago. And I, I didn't really knock any players for having a bad year last year. It was such a weird season. Um, but interesting to see how he'll try to bounce back in 2021. And yeah, like I said, if you're looking for great baseball or two you know, potential World Series winning teams, maybe look at the NL West. But if you want a contested, chaotic, uh, you know, like, what, well, he's kind of like the, uh, what was the division in football this year? The, the NFC East, where you had the Washington football team. Yep get into the playoffs when they weren't very good all year and then they had like their fourth string quarterback have a career game against the Bucks in the playoffs ultimately the, the Bucks won obviously uh, but yeah the NL Central is going to be fun if you like chaos 
Yeah, and for the Brewers, it depends on if they keep Josh Hader or trade him or not. Right? right? Yeah. There's all the all the trade rumors around Hader again, mostly with him going to the Padres in some uh, weird capacity. If if you've listened to the rumors loud enough, but again, if they if that if they keep their best reliever or if they have to move him, then that I think changes the 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 prospect of what the Brewers can do this year. Yeah, definitely. And another storyline, a little more close to home. Well, actually, let's talk about the Houston Astros for a second now. Because we, like I, I knocked on wood already, the Rays have been blessed. The Astros, not so much in terms of pitching injuries. And the Rays know this all too well. I remember Brent Honeywell when he got his first Tommy John surgery a few years ago in spring training. And he hasn't pitched in a big league or really any game in over three yeah. years. Uh, the Astros are going through that now. Framber Valdez, a guy that the Rays saw a couple of times in the ALCS. Very good young pitcher for Houston. He might be missing the whole season due to a finger injury. Right now, he's, he's trying to avoid surgery, maybe come back in a few months. Do not know how that's going to play out. Justin Verlander is is out for the year. He had Tommy John surgery late last season. And now Forrest Whitley, another one of their young prospects coming up that was going to play a big part in their rotation this year. He's having Tommy John. He'll be gone as well. They were forced to go make a move, and they went out and signed Jake Odorizzi, who was probably the last, like, eh, notable starting pitcher on the free agent market. And it wasn't really a move to booster the rotation. It was kind of a necessity they had to make right now. Fangraphs has their roster or their rotation as Zach Greinke, Lance McCullers, Jake Odorizzi, Jose Urquidy, and Christian Javier. And that like they were in the aisles. They were one game away from the world series last year. I think a lot of people forget that maybe not race fans because we were the ones that blew the three L lead and had to win game seven. But I think a lot of baseball fans around the country, you look at the Astros team and still the first thing on your mind is the cheating scandal. Well, they're, they're a few years removed from that now. And this is a team that probably sees another opportunity to succeed in the AL West, but their pitching staff has taken a huge hit early on in spring. What, what are your thoughts on the Astros and their chances this year? Yeah, I mean, you still you still have Cranky, you still have McCullers, and, and I think you still have a, a respectable starting starting rotation, especially out out west. When you think about who they've they've got to compete with, it's interesting that they've you know they've also have Ryan Stanek on the roster. So do they utilize him in in sort of a an opener role or try to just get through the season to come up come across the injuries? But you know, it's still good enough rotation that if I was an Astros fan, I wouldn't be uh, automatically thinking the season's gone, although it certainly hurts to lose two of your top pitchers. Um, but this is just where base, where injuries are just part of baseball and why, you know, it's possible that as we were talking earlier about some of the Rays lineup and rotation challenges, some of these things tend to work themselves out over the course of spring training with, you know, someone that gets hurt and why depth is so, so important. And again, I look at the what's the Astros are going through. And to me, that's where as I rationalize the the Blake Snell trade a bit for the Rays, it takes depth to get through to get through a major league baseball season. And it's great to have one really great guy up there at the the top of the the rotation. But you're gonna have to you're gonna have to focus to deal with injuries. And then as we deal with again season two of COVID, it's not an elbow injury, it's not a shoulder injury. It's it's something that when you go through and do the contact tracing, you can lose 
quite a few members of the team in one in one swoop. And then we, you know, the protocols aren't the same for players to come back because it impacts everybody differently. So that's the part that I'd be concerned with if I was an Astros fan looking at that, if we're already this short and this thin, you know, anything else that happens is probably really breaks. But as a Rays fan, I think that's where the the depth and the quality of of just how much talent this team has uh, is really uh, optimistic for the year. Yeah, and, and if you look at the Astros lineup, they're going to get back hopefully a healthy Jordan Alvarez, who we know can just demolish baseballs. But they lose George Springer to the Toronto Blue Jays, and that's the team I want to talk about next because there's been a lot of excitement around that team in the American League East. A lot of people think that they are going to be the biggest competition to the New York Yankees in the AL East this year. The New York Yankees team that did not win the division last year or the year before that, I don't remember exactly. Um, but a lot of people think like if, if there is a team to finish second and challenge the Yankees, it's not the Rays, the defending American League East champions that won the division by seven games in a 60-game season. They think it's the Blue Jays. And, and there's a lot of reasons, don't get me wrong, a lot of reasons to be excited about the Blue Jays. Two off-seasons ago, they brought in Hinjin Ryu. This year, they go out and get George Springer and Marcus Semien as well, who was like an MVP candidate not too long ago. Uh, and you look at the rest of their lineup, Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, Vlad Guerrero, Kevin Biggio, Lourdes Goriel Jr. Right now on fan graphs, they have their projected number eight hitter as Rowdy Telez, who is projected to have 22 home runs and a 325 OBP. Those are really good numbers, and I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about the Toronto Blue Jays. But I worry about their pitching rotation, much in the same way that, that we just talked about with the Astros. Uh, the, Nate Pearson, who is their young and up-and-coming pitcher, their next big thing in terms of pitching, he's hurt. He's got a groin injury. I have no idea what his status looks like for opening day. Probably won't break camp with the team. They go out and they get Robbie Ray. They brought, got him at the trade deadline last year. I thought if this is a, a, considered an upgrade for the Blue Jays, then that's a great sign for the Rays, who then ended up playing them in the postseason. They re-upped with him for one more year, $8 million, might I add. He's projected to be their number two starter. Tanner Roark, number three. Steven Matz, number four. Ross Stripling, number five. These are names that, you know, maybe are interesting a couple of years ago. Not so much now. And don't get me wrong. You could say that about some of the names that the Rays brought in this offseason. Michael Walker, Chris Archer, Rich Hill, Colin McHugh. Uh, but the Blue Jays aren't as rock solid as I think a lot of people expect them to be. And I'll talk a little bit more about Robbie Ray. He was not good last year. He had a 6.62 ERA, much the same like uh, uh, like Michael Walker. But instead of walking less than two batters per nine innings, Robbie Ray was walking 7.84 batters per nine innings. And if you look at pitchers who threw at least 50 innings in 2020, he led all of baseball in walks per nine. The next guy had only walked 5.25 walks per nine innings. So a big difference between Robbie Ray and the rest of the field. He does strike out a lot of batters, but I just do not see him as a quality starting pitcher for a big league team anymore. Who knows? Maybe he turns it around this year. There's a couple of guys, though, that I am kind of interested in seeing, and, and, and really not what this Blue Jays staff starts out as, but how they finish the season, especially if they're in a postseason race. Julian Merriweather, uh, a young guy who's now age 29, and he's only thrown 13 innings in the big leagues. He's dealt with injury issues. He missed his whole 2018 season, only threw six innings in the minors in 2019, but threw 13 innings in the big leagues. He's a guy with a really nice fastball, can work it up in the zone, can strike out a lot of guys. 
how he plays out. Right now, they have him projected as a reliever, but I think they're trying to stretch him out as a starter right now in spring training. Does he break camp in the rotation, or does he move in there at some point? Who knows? The other, the other guy, the, the lefty Anthony Kay, do they see him maybe as a bulk or a, a headliner type of pitcher? Maybe he becomes a starter. And then ultimately, when does Nate Pearson get healthy? Because I liked what I saw to him. He's got another great fastball. Where does he fit in? And so the storyline that I'm going to kind of watch is how this Blue Jays rotation kind of transforms as the season goes on. Because if Merriweather can step into a starter's role, if Pearson's healthy and he's ready to take on a starter's workload, this could be, this could turn into a really good team that the Rays really need to be worried about in the American League East. Yeah, the Blue, the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays lineup, it's it's young, it's strong. And then you, again, you talk about the additions, right? Springer, Simeon, and, and that's, that's the part that really is scary if they if those bats all come together and they can put the runs up but then to your point you know Robbie Ray with the highest walk rate in MLB since 2019 right they're going to have to they're going to have to score all those runs in order for uh, to make up for the gaps that they have in their their starting rotation and then in the bullpen they've got some strong arms they've got you know Kirby Yates with a, a high strikeout rate and, and really good performances over the last few seasons that he's put together. Uh, Jordan Romano, which, you know, his slider's really been pretty effective for a pitch for him over the last couple seasons. And then, but if they're going to have to use those guys sooner than expected, then they're going to have to get to the bottom of their bullpen, which isn't as strong. So I think it's really going to be, they're going to have to get more. I mean, we talked about getting more out of Michael Waka, but they're going to have to get a whole lot out of Robbie Ray. They're going to have to get a whole lot out of Steven Matz, and he's going to have to, you know, channel back to the New York version from a few years back. And, and then Tanner Rourke's going to have to do something different in order for that to matter. So I think that, you know, they're, they're a team that is scary and, and can, can do some things if it comes together, but I don't think that uh, I see them winning the division. Yeah, it, it's going to be really tough again, and especially with a 162-game season, just the way the year plays out. We talked about how the 60-game season uh, maybe benefited the Rays, the short sprint where you're going to need a lot of depth. And <laughs> I don't want to keep saying this, but now the going back to 162 games and how pitching is going to be utilized, we've talked about the Rays, how they're going to try to build this, put together this puzzle of 1,450 innings with a sl- like just a t- large number of potential starting pitchers or, you know, I don't think the Rays would call them all starters, but bulk pitchers to, to put together those innings. A lot of other teams are going to have to do that. And beyond that, the the Blue Jays, they're, you know, potentially piloting this whole Pinellas County to Canada move right. during the year. So beyond having some of those challenges, right, playing in your, in your mind, in your spring training ballpark to start the year off and then hopefully borders open back up and you can, you can go back across and, and finish uh, finish back in Toronto. So we'll see what kind of impact that has on the team as well. Yeah, you, you mentioned the, the whole idea of starting in Pinellas County and then moving up north, maybe to Toronto, maybe to Buffalo, where their AAA team is supposed to be playing. That could be moved uh, because uh, another thing they would have to deal with if they stayed in Dunedin all season long is uh, countless games uh, rained out and then a lot more seven-inning doubleheaders. Maybe that's how they cut back on their innings for the, for the guys. They just play more seven-inning games <laughs> uh, in, in Dunedin. But yeah, an interesting storyline to follow in. Yeah, I, I do think, like, I, I said some negative things about the Blue Jays. I think they're going to be a good team, and I do think this AL East race 
is some sort of a, 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 a three-team race of sorts. I just don't see the Blue Jays as like a clear number two, uh, where the Rays would then be a clear number three. I think the Rays are still better than the Blue Jays, and maybe the Blue Jays, by the end of the year, are just as good as the Rays, and maybe they finish that way in the standings. Uh, but just another interesting storyline to follow, and we'll step aside one more time, and we'll come back and talk about some developing under-the-radar Rays storylines in spring training. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. We've talked about what we've seen so far from the Rays in spring training. Jamal, we've talked about some storylines we're going to be following around the league. But now, let's like, now we got to really dig in. We're in the dog days of spring training now. We've played a week of games. Now, the, maybe the, the initial novelty of watching spring games has worn off. And let's dig into some potential under the radar storylines that could be developing in spring or we could see develop once the regular season gets underway. And and I'll start us off. I'd like to talk a little bit about Ryan Thompson, who was kind of the surprise addition to the roster at the start of last season and never left the roster from the start of opening day to game six of the World Series. A guy that pitched really meaningful innings. And we talked about the story of his dad meeting him in the parking lot after and they couldn't he couldn't get into the game but just talking about his first major league outing at the parking lot of the Trops, six parking spaces away. Again, his mom getting to see him pitch in the World Series and the, the, the tears on her face in Texas. And really great story to see Ryan Thompson, who by no means was like, he was a good reliever last year for the Rays. And I'm just really curious to see how his sophomore season goes and the role he kind of develops. We've The, we, the Rays used him, I think, once as an opener. He got one start. He appeared in 25 of their 60 games. And I, and I really liked what I saw of him. And I think he's a guy that after last year being a surprise is maybe almost a lock to be on the opening day roster again this year. What do you think? Yeah, I think he's absolutely on the opening day roster. I, I, I'd be surprised if he wasn't, he, he really performed better than you could have expected him to last season. Again, shortened season and all those other pieces to it, but he had a, Generated a lot of ground balls off of his fastball throughout the year. I think he had a ground ball rate around 74%. And then he was also able to get a lot of strikes. I mean, he's only had one outing so far for spring training. Actually, I, can't, I don't know if he was in there today or not, but I know he had you know, one inning. And again, spring training looks, looks good for one inning of spring training baseball. But if he can continue to, to develop and, and continue to build off of what last season started and ended with, um, I think he'll be a really good reliever for the Rays this year and someone that you can count on that when they come in, uh, that there will be some some outs and you start moving towards the next inning. And you look at the Rays' uh, clock of relievers, the different arm angles that they bring, having Ryan Thompson, who goes almost, you know, sidearm submarine level, he has a much lower arm, arm you know, release point, uh, is a great piece to have in the bullpen especially when he's effective as he was, like you said, the 59% ground ball rate. Those are numbers that, you know, he barely even put up in the minor leagues when he was with the Astros organization. So yeah, Ryan Thompson is a guy that I'm just really curious to see how he does. I hope there's no sophomore slump in his future. And I, I think he's a guy that's going to, again, once again, pitch meaningful innings for the Rays in 2021, despite all the, you know, they, they brought back Oliver Drake, who's not going to be healthy to start the year. They brought back Chaz Rowe a couple of other guys that are in that group of starters that are going to eat up some of those innings potentially that, that Thompson had to pitch in last season. Uh, but I think he, he definitely has earned his spot. On a personal level for Ryan Thompson, 
he signed my cardboard cutout that was in Tropicana Field last year. So I need him to perform. So I, so that's to be proud of to share with folks. Otherwise it's just, you know, some, some Sharpie that I'll say my three-year-old did on the bottom. But no, I think yeah, yeah. If, he, if we can get another good year, I think a lot of race fans will be cheering for Ryan, Ryan Thompson. I, I've got to check and see. I don't know if they've, they've released any information because I know there's going to be fans in the stands. I, I wonder if they're still going to do cardboard cutouts uh, in the sand. I'm sure they are to some capacity. I need to get one. I didn't get one last year. I need, I need to get one for 2021. Are there, uh, Jamal, any storylines that maybe you're kind of keeping an eye on that if they haven't started developing already, they might within the next couple of weeks within race camp. It just, for me is all about, it's all about health and both the, the physical, the, the physical piece to the traditional injuries that we'd see in baseball, as well as just what a second season of COVID does. I think that the, the challenges that that creates and, and the impact that that can have to a roster, we saw it with the Marlins last year and the Cardinals last year, and just how many players you can lose um in one time that's that's the biggest thing for me to keep an eye on aside i don't i don't it's spring training wins losses don't matter like velocities are things to get excited about but the main thing is you know all the all the players that take the field uh, make it back and we don't have to add to the to the injury list although you know it, it's you don't really it, that would be one way to solve the outfield problem <laughs> um, and have it solve itself with nothing major but again, I think it's just mainly the team staying healthy and getting to opening day with 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 a healthy roster and then continuing through the season. 100% agree with you there, Jamal. And and really the last thing I kind of want to touch on um, is the Rays bullpen. And I know I just mentioned Ryan Thompson. Yeah. You look on Fangraph's roster resource, which isn't the end-all be-all of like how a roster is constructed. But on that list, the Rays have three closing pitchers listed. I don't know how many other teams on this website have multiple closers listed. The Rays have three. And it kind of, again, once again, shows you how the Rays view their bullpen. They don't see long reliever, middle reliever, setup, closer. They see usually like really just an A bullpen and a B bullpen. And last year, the A bullpen, once you got to the postseason, was Pete Fairbanks, Nick Anderson, Diego Castillo. And Pete Fairbanks, a couple of years ago, the Rays traded for him, got rid of Nick Solak. A lot of fans were very upset with that trade. Nick Solak is a guy they thought was going to be a big league ball player. He is with the Rangers. Pete Fairbanks was a guy that the last time he had played the Rays, he had give up a pair of home runs in like two-thirds innings. Now Pete Fairbanks really in 2020 blossomed into this high-leverage pitcher that got some of the most important outs of the Rays season. And... The big question, at least for me, is does someone else join that A bullpen in 2021 uh, to go alongside Fairbanks, Anderson, and Castillo? Um, Jamal, do you, would you, if you had to pick a favorite, and I'm not saying the person you pick has to be in that A bullpen, but would you have a maybe a, a we'll call him a dark horse candidate to, to join that A bullpen? I think, you know, we, we joke about it. I'll probably be the only person. I know there's probably some, some bias there, but I think Ryan Thomas has a dark horse candidate to join that bullpen. But Chaz Rowe also, I think, is another guy that would be a little more expected to be in there. It just depends on the development and, and, and just what those, those guys are able to do. I mean, they're both still right-handers. I mean, you probably need at some point to, to get a left-hander and, and mix it in there. But those are, those are just two of the relievers that I probably have the most confidence with once you get past Fairbanks, Anderson, and Castillo. 
Yeah, and, and, and Chaz Rowe is a guy that kind of was, not that long ago, part of that, that A bullpen for the Rays, or at least one of the first iterations of, of those teams that the Rays have never had, like given roles out to people in spring trading. But when the Rays really made that shift to, all right, this is our A bullpen, this is our B bullpen, uh, he was really good for the Rays. And he only got to pitch nine in the third innings. Those innings were still really good last year. He's definitely a guy that if he's healthy, if he goes back to what we knew Chaz Rowe, uh, is with that nasty slider. Yeah, he could easily be there. You do mention left-handed pitchers. Uh, Cody Reed is another guy I'm keeping an eye on. The Rays went out and traded for Cody Reed. He was with the Cincinnati Reds. Yep. Uh, only pitched a few innings for the Rays before he got hurt, which what initially like we thought was like a finger blister or a fingernail injury or something. He ended up like getting placed on the 60-day IL, missing the rest of the season. We weren't really sure what happened, but he's back in spring training now. He pitched in today's game against the Twins. And I think had a one, two, three inning, looked really good. Cody Reed's a guy that if he makes the team uh, out of spring training, which I think he will, I won't make any predictions yet, but I think he will, could develop into a an A bullpen type. The other name I threw on there in terms of left-handed pitchers is Shane McClanahan. The Rays used him as a reliever in 2020. In the postseason, he made his major league debut in the postseason. Yes, I think the Rays are going to want to try to stretch him out as a starter in Durham. But if they need big league relievers, Shane McClanahan's a guy that, even though he wasn't great in the postseason, a guy they might want to turn on because he's got absolute gas from the left side, would be a great reliever. In terms of righties, I'll go back to, to Hunter Strickland, a guy I don't expect to make the big league team. But when he was at the top of his game in San Francisco, he threw sixty over 60-plus 60 innings and was having ERAs around, hovering around 2-5, was one of the better relievers in the game. And it's, you know, somehow the Rays see the same type of stuff out of him in camp. He makes the, makes the team. Who knows? By the end of the season, he could develop into one of those guys. The other guy like that is Andrew Kittredge, who's dealt with some injuries. And we've seen kind of early on in Andrew Kittredge's big league career, wasn't all that good. Wasn't sure really where his spot was in the, in the, in the pitching staff. And has grown into a guy that can eat up multiple innings out of the bullpen but can also throw in some higher leverage situations too. So Andrew Kittredge would be on my list. And 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 really the, the goal is to have, uh, you know, eight guys in that bullpen and that, that is your A bullpen. It doesn't matter who you throw out there. Yeah, and I think it's possible also just some of the the roster wizardry that they might try to do is maybe bring some of these some of these guys in to start the season. You've got some options on some other guys that can start off in AAA and, and give you some depth. So I think all of that, has a has a piece to play in all of it but I think we'll see towards towards the end but either way uh, it's a good problem to have I think with the depth and, and all the options that they have at, at their disposal well Jamal I, th- I think we've covered it and, and usually when there's no big news in spring training that's that's usually not a bad thing and the fact that the Rays have stayed healthy is a great sign and, and I think uh, you will just keep praying for that before opening day on April 1st uh, when they go down to Miami and play the Marlins is something that, that, that I'm very excited about. And I'm sure you are as well. Absolutely. Baseball with, with fans in the stands, it, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. It's we're super, you know, super excited. Everyone's got it. If you can't get pumped up about baseball and opening day coming up, um, then we've got to help you fi- find a way to get there. So it's not an April fool's joke. <laughs> April 1st, there will be baseball fans in the stands and, and can't wait to be there. Yeah, you know, last year, it was uh, as much as I enjoyed last year's season, being just getting it back on TV, 
those months where there was no baseball, when there typically is baseball on every single night, was really tough. And getting back to a 162-game season, uh, where it does feel like a marathon in a good way. I've never actually ran a real marathon, uh, but I'll take the baseball marathon uh, 10 out of 10 times. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you to Jamal Wilberg for, for hopping on this one. Thank you to everyone who listened. As always, make sure to head on over to DRaiseBay.com to check out all of the great spring training coverage. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.